go for launch. Five. Quiet, numbskulls. I'm broadcasting. Anything can happen in the next half hour. Four. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. This whole thing is insane. Three. Quiet, please. I am analyzing. Where's the kaboom? Two. There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. One. Help, the human's about to escape. Get your paws off me, you dirty ape! <gasps> he can talk. He can talk, 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 he can talk! I can sing! Ooh, help me, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas! Oh, Dr. Zayas! Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. What's wrong with me? I think you're crazy. Want a second opinion? You're also lazy. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Oh, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Can I play the piano anymore? Of course you can. Well, I couldn't before. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Planet 8. We are fortunate to have friend of Planet 8 with us today. The one, the only, the myth, the legend, Lord Bloodraw. Oh, my lords and ladies in the planet of the planet of the eight. What, what a give. What a give. What a giveaway. Uh, in the Planet 8 universe, I'm once again very happy to be here. Always a pleasure. And as Lord Bloodraw alluded to, today's yes. topic uh, is going to be the original Planet of the Apes film. Straight away, let's go over to our chief engineer, Bob. When and how were you first exposed to this film? Well, even though I claim to be old, <laughs> I did not see it in the theaters when it came out. So I think the first time I saw it was probably on... Uh, on network TV. Like oh. ABC, I think, was showing okay. Planet of the Apes, the uh, movies. Like the Saturday oh, Night CBS. Movie or whatever? Yeah, one of the, one of those. Yeah. And so, yeah, that was the first time I saw it. And I did see Planet of the Apes first. I didn't see, like, one of the others. Oh, okay. So you, know. you came so into the So I pretty much Chuck went Heston. in order. I think I saw Escape <clears throat> on in the theaters. Okay. But, um, yeah, no, I mean, I just thought it was totally amazing that these apes are talking. I mean, the makeup in that movie is amazing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you really believe, at least back then, yeah. the apes were walking around and talking and acting like humans. And, yeah. Cool. And uh, Lord Bloodraw, when when, and how? I, I am old, and I did see it in the theaters. Uh, but it was about, it had to be about second or third run. Okay. Had to be, because I want to say I didn't see it until maybe 71 at like a second or third run film yeah, theater yeah. and was blown away by it, mm -hmm. uh, you know. But if, when you're that age, my initial thought was, wow, they had a Statue of Liberty too. How weird. <laughs> and then like on the ride home, I'm thinking, oh, I, oh, the plant, oh, wow, it was Earth. So, uh, yeah, and again, like most films of this magnitude, you've mm -hmm. got to see it on a big screen to have actually right. seen it. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've seen it on big screen a few times, and is just still so impressive. And yeah. so, not only the, the 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 makeup effects, but the 
the acting through the makeup. If they had had any less quality actors under that makeup, Agreed. it wouldn't have wouldn't have worked or less of a fine script. Mm. That script is just incredible, incredibly well done. True, true. Let's kick it up to the satellite. Our friend and yours, Reconnaissance Officer Karen. Oh, well, thank you, Larry. <laughs> well, I had sort of a misadventure the uh, first time I tried to see Planet of the Apes. So mm. I was but a wee child. <laughs> and uh, the folks decided to take me and my brother to the drive-in to see Planet of the Apes. So this was when it was first out. And uh, I was so excited because I always loved apes and monkeys. And I was like, oh, Planet of the Apes. <laughs> so we go to the drive-in. And the drive-in has this playground there. And so we're in our pajamas. We're running around the playground playing before the, se- the movie starts. And I have to ask, uh, did they have monkey bars there? <laughs> oh, hold on. Wow. So, uh, so we, you know, we run around, we play, we get all worn out, and we lay down in the back of the station wagon to watch the movie, and and the movie starts, and I see the spaceship, and it's like, oh, this is exciting, and the spaceship crashes in the water, and the astronauts get out, and they're going across the desert, and the next thing I know, they're starting the car up, and we're leaving the drive-in. I fell asleep. Oh, I didn't no. see a single ape. Oh. <laughs> so, so when I actually saw the movie, it was like Bob on TV when they decided to, to show it the first time sure. on, the, on the television. And yes, I was very distraught. I was like, what? The movie's over? What? Why didn't you wake me up? Um, they had no good answers for me. Um, so, yeah, so I got to see it on TV, and I think the first one in the series I actually saw in the theater was Conquest. Ah. Um, so I, I saw everything on, you know, they were turning them around pretty quickly, as I recall, on oh, TV. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, years later, a couple of years ago, I actually saw uh, the original in the theater. I think it was probably Fathom or one yeah, of the yeah. That was the one where they interviewed Dr. Zayas before the movie. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that was, that was fabulous was to good. see it on the big screen. Um, but yeah, like the guys said, I mean, this this was a major production. You had a, a guy, Charlton Heston, who at that time was still a huge star, Yeah, um, you know, headlining this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this was no joke. You know, this was a very serious sci-fi movie. Um, and to me, it's one of those films, I'll, I'll stop and watch it anytime. If I turn on the TV and it's on, it's like, Mm-hmm. Done. I'm not doing anything for the next hour or however mm-hmm. long. You know, it's just a great film. Yeah. Uh, what year? It was 68? 68. 68, yeah. Right? So up to that point, 2001 hadn't come out yet. Right? Kubrick's film came out. Or, or did it? it? It came out uh, in the same year. Was right? it the same year? Okay. All right. Or was, or was Kubrick uh, 2001, 69? 69, I think. I think. It's 69. Yeah. 69. Okay. Okay. So okay. this, this, uh, so at the time it was, Kind of like, you know, like Karen said, a big deal. Yeah. Well, well, weren't they I mean, within I, the same Oscar season? They were the same year, actually. It was mm. the same year. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yes. Okay. Because they were within the same Oscar season. Mm. Because I think 2001, they lost out to Planet of the Apes. Well, no, Planet of the Apes got a special Oscar. They got a special the Oscar for the makeup. For the, the makeup. makeup. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I was reading where, like, John Chambers was the guy who did the makeup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And he had done... He was doing reconstructive surgery and prosthetics for soldiers in the war. Wow. In the, he was in the army. And that's where he kind of honed his skills. Right. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, he also worked on uh, the Munsters and Lost in Space. 
and Outer Limits. Oh, wow. And the most iconic thing he did, other than apes, was Mr. Spock's ears. That's right. Oh. That's right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So he developed That's those. The beauty of Planet 8, you all get an edumacation. <laughs> <laughs> and I also edumacation. heard. Right. And I'd also heard that uh, when he was initially offered the makeup job for Planet of the Apes, he said, no, that's crazy. I don't want to do it. And the person who offered it to him said, well, if you don't get it, Westmore is going to do it. Oh. <laughs> and he said, oh, because no, he hated Bud Westmore. Not Bud Westmore, but Michael Westmore? Bud Westmore. Bud Westmore. Bud yeah, Westmore. At that point, yeah. Hated Bud Westmore. So he decided, okay, I'll, I'll do people. it then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think well, the makeup, I mean, still stands up today. Oh, it's amazing. You know, yeah. I'll tell you, near, near and dear to my heart, Yeah. back a long time ago, I was researching an article I was doing on Space Giants, Japanese mm. show Space Giants. I love Giants. Space Giants. Well, Planet of the Apes, all the, make, all the main actors had makeup. Mm-hmm. But when you had like a big scene, a bunch of mm-hmm. monkeys and whatever, all mm-hmm. apes and... The apes in the background all had masks, mm-hmm. and masks were actually done by some of the effects guys that worked on like Space Giants and Johnny Sock on his flying robot. Oh, so that's cool. Oh, wow. Near and dear to my heart. But yeah, it's, uh, they did like the background ones you don't see quite as much as right, the, right. the detailed sure. makeup yeah. ones. Yeah. Have you guys seen the footage of the uh, the makeup that was done not by Chambers but by it's in my notes. Ben Nye. Yes. Um, okay. The science so you know guy? What oh, no, that's talking about. Uh-huh. Was Edward G. Robinson? Edward G. Robinson, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. So, obviously, very primitive compared to what Chambers did, but right. they had to do it in order to convince Zanuck, uh, Richard Zanuck, to, to finance the, the film at 20th Century Fox. But it's interesting to look at that. And uh, they were they were like, okay, yeah, sure, you know that makeup looks good, but it's nowhere near as good as what Chambers did. No, they looked almost. Edward uh, uh, Robinson as Zayas looked almost like a uh, a caveman, kind of a primitive man, rather than <laughs> yeah. rather than a full on orangutan. Well, before yeah. like before Arthur Jacobs got a hold of it, uh, the King brothers initially wanted to do a film, but the King brothers were kind of low budget. They distributed like Gorgo over here and Rodan. Uh-huh. And so everyone was afraid that it was going to look like a bunch of guys in monkey suits. Yeah. Sure. And then yeah. for whatever, whatever reason, they pulled out. And that's when Arthur, Arthur Jacobson picked it up. Ooh. But he had just done uh, Dr. Little, Dr. Doolittle with right. Rex Harrison. Rex Harrison. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, he's the one who shopped it around and finally convinced Warner Brothers to take it on. But. Mm-hmm. They even wanted to cut the budget. I mean, the budget was like five point nine million or something for this movie. Yeah, well, that was a lot. Which back is then. like that's like the catering bill to most movies. <laughs> <these days. laughs> well, and and if you look at the original concept art for it, the apes were supposed to have a more modern society, so they were flying right. helicopters and driving right. cars and have modern buildings and things like that. Yeah, that was and, all uh, Rod Serling's screenplay. Right. Ex- yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, but I think, but I think it was Serling when they said, "Well, the budget's crazy." Who suggested taking them back to a more primitive? Well, yeah, state when, of when they cut I the think. budget at Warner Brothers, then they had to take it back, and right. they brought in Michael Wilson, who did like Bridge to the River Kwai, which was also based on a Pierre Pierre Boulle, yeah. Pierre Boulle mm-hmm. novel, and he also did like Lawrence of Arabia and uh, It's a Wonderful Life. So he was a very established mm-hmm. Hollywood writer. And he, yeah, he took it back and decided, well, that should be 
instead of putting them in big buildings with all these modern things, they can ride horses and be in huts. And yeah, yeah, that was suddenly the apes were more primitive, right? Yeah, very cost effective. Oh, yeah, very much so. Yeah, (laughs) although they did have to build that ape city, uh, which was you know, I mean, really interesting look to it, and uh, certainly nothing like anything anybody had seen in film at that time. Right. And which uh, I know listening to one of the documentaries, the uh, set designer said had been influenced by uh, some sort of uh, like cave city in Turkey. Hmm. And uh, they just took and built like a frame partially out of cardboard, like metal and cardboard and sprayed this urethane foam in it and then removed the cardboard. And that's how they had that that rock appearance. Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's funny. You would think that if apes, orangutans, etc., evolved, that they'd have their residence in a tree or... More so know, like the latest Planet of the Apes. Like the latest yeah. one did. Yeah. But it was interesting to take that city and be like, well, no, this is, you know, we're going to establish our city thusly. Right. Uh, and it just added to the entire... Um, uh, you know, fantastic elements of this yeah. film, in, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. You know, looking at it, it's yeah. like, wow. Well, you're thinking about the Mego playset, right? <laughs> <laughs> Planet of the Apes Treehouse. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I wish I could visit Ape City. Too bad they tore oh, everything I down. Know. I know. Yeah, you know, it would have been yeah. iconic. I would love to have seen a, a scene with, like, you know, gorilla stonecutters. <laughs> yeah, the, the, yeah. the closest I came to any of that was uh, visiting Bob Burns. Uh, and he's got like a four or five foot model of the, the spaceship that they crashed. Oh, in the first wow. one. Now they made like a full size one out of wood so they could like jump off of it in the water and right. all that. But yeah, mm-hmm. they had a, a model of it too. It was like four or five foot. I'll, I'll see if I can dig out the picture. We can post it. But Okay. Um, yeah, it was amazing. We just walked in. It's like, look, Planet of the Apes. Nice. <laughs> well, let me ask you guys this. So, um, after having seen Planet of the Apes, um, what did you think in, I mean, cause the, the well, then 2001, mm-hmm. we talked about, you would have saw that, um, what had that kind of a wow effect on you? cinematically after Planet of the Apes. Oops. Just counting other Planet of the Apes films, <laughs> right, which, yeah, sure. which we'll talk sure, about sure. in other podcasts. I mean, I think there were like, obviously major jumps in the effects starting with Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Continuing in 2001. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, of course, there was Star Wars. Yeah. So you're that was probably, like that was probably year, the, Yeah, well, yeah. that was almost a 10-year... Yeah, ten year because yeah. Star Wars was seventy seven, mm-hmm. Apes was sixty eight, yeah. and uh, yeah, I think if you're talking about whoa, gasping reactions to special effects, Star Wars would probably be. Cause I didn't really gasp at two thousand one. It was no, cool, but yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, I think Star Wars was like the big leap. Logan's run was pretty. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah <laughs> we no. just talked about that a few episodes. We ago. did, we did. Logan's I, run. Yeah, well, I, we were talking about that whole. The pan across the city at the beginning yeah. with the domes, that's, that's all miniatures. Oh, yeah. Like all but that's your reaction to it when you see it. It's like, wow, what a great model. Well, it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed by that it model. Looked, I'm impressed by that it model. It looked great in the theater. It doesn't hold up as well now that we've got these high-definition 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. The media now to, to look at it and you can like, oh, yeah, that's clearly a miniature. But yeah, yeah it's still, I still enjoy it. Oh, yeah. they, they have the same vibe, though, because I, I just recently watched both films for podcasting purposes. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think they both uh, hold up, as, at least story-wise for me. Oh, I yeah. still enjoy them. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, Pla- well, Planet of the Apes seems to take its subject matter deadly seriously, as right. opposed to... Yes. Well, I think uh, they had to. Logan's run- yeah, they had yeah. to. And t- t- Otherwise, they had to believe- like, look at the monkeys. Yeah. Right, right. Mm-hmm. They had to believe it in order to get the audience to fully buy mm-hmm. in. Yeah, yeah definitely. What about you, Walker? What do you think uh, after Planet of the Apes? Uh, uh, well, I, I guess I wasn't thinking so much as a special effects, but just sort of the the overall... Um, like vibe? Well, yeah, sort of like the... To me, the thing that's amazing about Planet of the Apes is it feels like a complete world. Like, it, I really buy into the whole thing, and then especially when we get... Right. I know a lot of people don't like Beneath Planet of the Apes, but... Mm-hmm. I really like the film. I like the fact that they deal with there are some human survivors that aren't these primitive people, and yeah. you start to understand like what actually happened to the planet. You know, there was a war and all this other stuff. Like, there's a throwaway line in Planet of the Apes where they say there's no moon. Right. It's like, what the hell happened to the moon? Right. You know, and well, blasted out of orbit in 1999. Yeah, but. So, so when I think about that kind of thing, like world building and, and completeness, and I do start thinking about Star Wars. And when I saw Star Wars, it was like, wow, there is nothing in this picture that makes me think of like modern Earth. You know, right. it was like right. this is a real separate universe. Right. So Remove you from reality. My touchstone. Yeah. Right. Well, I think even the thing with Planet of the Apes, and especially since they had a low budget. Uh, you know, you never saw the spaceship flying through space. Oh, mm-hmm. right. When it was crash landing, it's just you get the view from their windshield, mm-hmm. and you're looking at. So basically, they were just doing flybys over mountains and tilting the camera, mm-hmm. and then down into the water, and then you see the ship like you know poking out of the water. So there was that, and then just you know keeping it in primitive times and all that. But I think the thing that really works is the way they reveal the apes. Oh, Mm -hmm. Because, you know, they're running through, there's something out there, and we don't see what it is, and they're running through this big corn maze or cornfield, and then they look back, and all you see are those big sticks, Mm -hmm. like, whacking down the the corn stalks. And then, when you see the apes ride in on the horses, Mm -hmm. and Jerry Goldsmith, who did the the, the music, he has that, I think he said it was a ram's horn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. As soon as they show the first gorilla on horseback, you get that ram's horn, and then they just start scooping everybody up and shooting everybody. And then, yeah, I mean, that was like a pretty awesome reveal. Oh, yeah. Especially if you don't, if you hadn't seen anything from the movie before, and you just suddenly here they are and they show mm-hmm. up. Right. And, and I think that was, that really set the tone. Right. And when the whole movie launched off of, after that. Oh, yeah. And they don't dwell on, okay, here's the ape. Look at the ape. Just look yeah. at the ape. There's that one close up, and then it's just all hell breaks loose during <laughs> exactly. the hunt. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. Right. You're not going to be laughing at those apes. 
No, right. right. Yeah, exactly. that was probably, well, that yeah, probably they, figured into that scene as well. They're mm-hmm. like an immediate threat. Yeah, right, exactly. From the beginning, so. Exactly. And believable. I mean, just yeah. visually, it's just so stunning. Right. And there's layers to that reveal. Like Bob said, the, the ram's horn and, right. and the overall music leading up to that point. In the, the music the, is so good. Oh, man. Oh, the Blu-ray, really. ha- Blu-ray has an audio commentary by just Gary's Go- uh, Jerry Goldsmith. Mm. I, I haven't had a chance to watch it with that, mm-hmm. but I thought, man, that would be an amazing commentary—just him talking about the music yeah. and yeah. how he composed it for well, the entire. Yeah. And there were so many unusual musical uh, elements in that mm-hmm. soundtrack. I know I've read that he used like some Brazilian instruments mm-hmm. at one point. He was using like pots and pans. I mean, mm-hmm. they're just strange things, but it it works. I mean, I I go back and I listen to that soundtrack just. You know, when I'm just doing odd things around the house, I listen to that soundtrack. It's just such a huge well, yeah, soundtrack. CD Japan just had a sale recently, and I picked up the Japanese soundtrack for Planet of the Apes. It has a little suite at the end from like Escape, but uh, mm-hmm. I got it for like six bucks or something. Oh, but it was like beautiful quality, and you can really hear all the different nuances in the. In What's the, music the difference from, from the Japanese version of the film to the American? I think the Japanese version was remastered, so like I say, uh-huh. you hear a lot more detail and a lot uh-huh. more, uh, yeah, you know, crisp music Lala, and that. Lala Land just put out a um, collection of all the film soundtracks. Oh, Ooh. in a, a case that looks a lot like if you guys remember the old DVD case that had the dark blue with the different apes in profile and mm. oh, yeah. shit on it. Yeah, the packaging looks very similar to that. That's oh, cool. Nice. The, the music nice. to me was almost like parts of a Western, uh, like uh, primal sounds yes. too, the percussion yeah. and stuff. Right. And it just worked so well together. At times overlapping and at times you're just focusing on you know, single elements of, of the different instruments right. and stuff. Um, lots of fun. Really, really good soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Yeah, atonal, and it, give, it give, gives you such an alien yeah. feeling that there's mm-hmm. something. And going back to the, just the way the film is constructed, mm-hmm. after they crash land, that walk through the desert, that they take right. up a, a good amount of screen time just getting them to a point where they discover the humans and then discover the apes. Yes. But there's, yeah, there's point, all those yeah. little reveals along the way, though. Right. Like they're in like this barren desert, and then suddenly they find a plant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And then they realize there's water there, and then they discover the humans, and right. you know, it's just, it's just yeah. They, and then I, before that, the weird lightning, and then the rock, and the scarecrows, mm-hmm. and the yeah. scarecrows. Yeah. So the, the crash I have a question. Oh yes. You guys, who built the scarecrows? I, I thought, thought it was I, the apes. Yeah, I thought the apes did it to keep the humans out of like the forbidden zone and all that. Because aren't I those just, like along the Forbidden Zone? Yeah, they are, but the apes aren't supposed to go in the Forbidden Zone. I had the same question, actually, Karen. Because I, I watched it last night again. Yeah. Um, this time I watched it with the commentary with the actors. Ah. Uh, but, but I noticed uh, when they did a close-up of one of the scarecrows, it looks like there are pelts on it because they're black yes. and orange fur orange. on the oh, scarecrows. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. Okay, so I'm, listeners, I'm no prize. Like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, let's who get built whoever comments on Facebook, Twitter, or the Blogspot page who built them. You get a famous Planet Eight no prize. <laughs> See, I'm I'm thinking like the humans, they had no tools, and yeah, they had clothes, but they really had no tools or anything they really developed. 
scientists had assumed that the apes had well, the scarecrows. Well, let's let's get really geeky was, with it. What go if ahead. It was the mutants? Aha! That's where I was going to go with it. That's where I was going to go with it because I mean, obviously, when they made Planet of the Apes. They had no idea None. if there was going to be a sequel. Right. Right, yeah. you know, there the was no right. plan for a sequel. But when I watch that movie now, have after having seen Beneath so many times, mm-hmm. when there's that rock slide and the lightning, I always figure that <gasps> there's that it's a mutant sentry mm. out there oh. just scanning with his mind. So oh, scare that away. Rock slide, lightning, lightning, scare, scare that thing away. Maybe the scarecrows actually didn't exist. I, I love that you Maybe just they blew were Karen's mind. I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> Gasp. I love it. I love it. Uh, Gasp. 40 so years of watching this film. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I want to do a little dance around the <laughs> we'll, we'll be posting that video later. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> Another thing, I mean, not to get off. Extra charge. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a good point, though. Well, we're talking uh, about the first one, but on um, Beneath, something that dawned on me recently was these mutants had the power of illusion. They could look any way they wanted to look. Right. Why didn't they just project how they wanted to look instead of wearing those sweaty latex masks? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, yes. Ask the lawgiver. Yeah, nah. right. Right. <laughs> See, even after this many years, there are depths of discovery in that. that right. Right. Well, that's the mark of a good film if you can talk about it and Absolutely. discover new things. You know, forty, fifty years later. I was watching the film this morning, um, and the crash scene. That really is a great example of more or less is more. Uh, yeah. You know, right. yeah. It, 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 you felt the tension and the anxiety, and it's like, oh my god, they're crashing, and it's disorienting because. There are, you know, outside uh, pictures of the of the crash uh, of the, uh, the planet, rocks, yeah, or, yeah, the horizon and stuff. But then inside, you get like, you know, the sky's upside down; right. it's right side up. You don't know which way it's going, and then right. and there it goes into the drink. Well, that's the thing because it's like quick cuts. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. you know sped up film, tinted right scenes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and then the splashdown. Or just- and then nothing against, like, Endgame and Captain Marvel, where now you see the ship fall apart piece by piece, well, molecule by molecule. Right. right. And and it is visually stunning and sure. exciting, but sure. this was a good way to, to yeah. crash a ship without breaking the bank. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Well, they say nothing's more impressive than what you see in your mind. There you you know, right. it's like, right. you know, you just imagine what's happening and. Yeah. Well, that's how I am every morning. Wild, you know? I wake up and I'm like, hey, Larry. And then I look in the mirror and I'm like, holy, <laughs> <laughs> who is that man? <laughs> Let me ask you guys this. The other thing that kind of struck me as odd, and I guess they were just trying to do like a futuristic, you know, because this happened in like, we left Earth in 1972. Right. The backpacks. Yeah. The backpacks were these <laughs> yeah. metal, hard, it wasn't contoured to the their backs. Yeah. And they had like seat buckles. Belt buckles from yeah. a car to buckle yeah. it. Yeah. How they was that practical? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. They, they were real men back then. None right. of the sissies that we have today. <laughs> That's right. Um, it, it was just interesting to me. And it's like, okay, that does kind of look futuristic, but damn uncomfortable. Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now I'm watching this thing. My, my wife's never seen the movie and she's watching it with me. And she's like, why are they swimming naked? 
I'm like, well, you know, the water in the tub. Well, I would have at least kept my underwear on. Now look, they're screwed. I'm like, yeah. see, but she was smart because what happened? They stole their clothes and right. now they're buck naked running through the forest. Well, then I said, what about the shoes? I says, I wouldn't care about underwear. I'd care about my shoes. She's like, well, I would have swam with my shoes too. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, and also they're swimming in the waters of an alien planet, they think. They don't know what's swimming around in there that on a microscopic that. level. They can go places. As far as or they even a macroscopic. There could have been like a lake shark or something in there. Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Just, you know, for the time, though, that was probably kind of risque. Oh, yes. Star like uh, Heston. Well, you know, and it, it there was an Austin Powers moment when they all three get out of the pond oh. <laughs> and they're standing and then oh, yes. one of the astronauts kind of like goes down on one knee right the other astronaut goes down on one knee and the camera level just hits Heston's belly button right had it gone down any further yeah. <laughs> would have gotten more than an R rating then eventually Heston go down on his knee and and they're looking at whatever proper or well if you look at that yeah I mean all, all the tree branches are all strategically placed <laughs> oh yeah, uh, oh, yeah. Oh, very much so yeah, yeah. there was you know Great cinematography in that one. Yeah. <laughs> Other than the courtroom scene, there's that one shot oh, yeah. where they just they strip him naked in the, in yep. the court. That's, yeah. That's there, I was watching one of the specials on Blu-ray, and <clears throat> Charlton Heston was talking about that scene, and he said that was like his first nude scene he'd ever done. <laughs> and uh, he said between takes, there was some woman from like the catering department or something, and she walked through and just looked over and at him and said, "Nice buns." <laughs> <laughs> All I have to say is I'm glad they didn't have cell phones back then. <laughs> right. You know, the funny thing is too, though, watching that. You know, he's running around. He's a, a tall man. Yes. And back then, I'm sure he was considered to be like he had a good physique. But of course, nowadays you have to be totally shredded and ripped. And, yeah. You know. Yeah. People would look at him now and say, "Wow, that guy's kind of out of shape." <laughs> yeah. Just, I don't know. The perspective is so totally different. No, that's true. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What? Look at uh, uh, George Reeves' Superman. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, wow, Fat Superman is like, what? Yeah. Like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? Adam West. <laughs> yeah. That's that's a beef eating Superman. Adam West. <laughs> that's right. Adam West. Yeah. That's right. He fed right. Batman. <laughs> Whereas Linda Carter's just fine as Wonder Woman even today. <laughs> Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. There you go. Um, should we talk about the the main characters? I think we should. Why, why don't you start us off? Karen? Except they okay. cut out his brain, damn them! <laughs> you bloody baboon! <laughs> do you want to? Do we want to start with Taylor then? Since we've already sure. been talking yeah, about yeah. Charlton Heston. Yeah. yeah, Taylor was like a pretty surly guy at the beginning. He was. Oh, and he like you know he was disenchanted with Earth. He left basically everyone behind to go on this mission. And I think he kind of changes over the course of the movie. Oh, yeah. I think the apes actually humanize him, but at least Zira and Cornelius. No. Yeah. Well, it's it's an amazing arc in that he leaves basically hating humanity, Mm -hmm. looking for something better. And he finds the the apes, and he's kind of stunned by their brutality. Then he finds the civilization before within that cave and actually starts to defend humankind right. until the end when he realizes I was, I was right, right all along. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was right all along. Yeah. I like, I actually, I love how they played out to the very end. 
and it works so well. I mean, right. very few films in history have the grandeur of the ending that this film had. Classic shock. Ending, they yeah. kept it. You know, what planet is this? How could a planet have developed right. apes as the intelligent life form and blah, blah, blah. There was a great cable show called Mad Men. And uh, Don Draper was the mm-hmm. main character. Mm-hmm. And he takes his son, Bobby, to go see Planet of the Apes. It was a period piece. took place oh, back yeah. in the 50s yeah, and right. 60s. And and they're watching Planet of the Apes. And, and the kids' eyes are just wide open through the whole film. And the film ends. And they don't show the film. But you hear Heston, damn you all yeah. to hell. And the little kid just looks into his dad and says, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, that kind of sums up. Yes. Like yes. You feel at the end of this film. It's like. That's right. Still iconic. I mean, and then that is classic Rod Serling. Yeah, that was all his ending. idea. That, yeah. that is one of the few things they kept from his yeah. script, I think. Yeah. Because in the novel, they make it back to Earth. Right, right. They make it back to Earth and they're at mission control and they come off the rocket and uh, or on the spaceship. They come off, and all the control people from NASA are all apes. Apes, right. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, it's happened, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but it does yeah, show that it was like two separate worlds, yeah, two yeah. separate planets. Right. Well, it's But Heston, yeah, Heston's one basically did the opposite to show that it was all one planet. All know, one he was, planet. He right. was home all the time. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, the novel more or less makes it seem like this is the trajectory of evolution throughout yeah. the universe for right. all for all intelligent species. It's, yeah. it's, it's strange. Yeah. The novel is very, very different. Obviously. Uh, yeah. Extremely yeah. different. What were you saying, Karen? Oh, I was just gonna say, well, just a couple things, I guess. Yeah. You know, thinking about Heston, it's like I I liked that performance, I know it's kind of broad. It was a different time, and his acting style was very different from what people accept nowadays. But I thought he really sold that ending. You know, he was. Oh, yeah. Like you guys are talking about, you know, he has this arc where he's kind of this misanthrope at the beginning. Then he has to basically defend humanity. And then, yeah, he's just devastated at the end, you know, falling on his knees and, and all that. And I, I thought he did a great job with that. I, I think he's an iconic actor, though. I, mean, I wouldn't oh, yeah. say... Oh, yeah. I mean, he was Moses, you know, right. as well as Taylor. And- <laughs> no, before that he was Moses, but after that he was in Soylent Green and the Omega Man. Gr- I was just going to say. Films. Earthquake. I mean, yeah. yeah. He, he he was in the first Sense Around movie, but mm-hmm. right. God. <laughs> so did, did Planet of the Apes almost uh, kind of stereotype him for, for a time as this post-apocalyptic hero? Or hmm. revived his career. Because, I mean, he had... Both. When was when was uh, the Ten Commandments? Oh, geez. Uh, like 30s, 40s, something? No, 50s. I think. No, it was 50s. in the 50s. Oh, 50s, yeah. okay. So he hadn't really done anything much. Yeah. Over yeah. a decade, at least. Yeah, smaller Until films. this, and then, yeah, and then I guess he, you know, they latched on to him as... Yeah, post-apocalyptic guy. When did he win? A, he won an Oscar for Ben Hur, right? Oh, well, Ben he, he he still his name still carries. But Ben Hur was think. before. Right? Was yeah, I, I don't think so. they got him like at a cut rate because he was like a has been or anything like yeah. that. I, I think yeah, they were like, oh my god, we got Charlton Heston, you know? Yeah. Oh, and the film wouldn't have been made without without his yeah being attached. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, for sure. Because he really pushed it. Yeah, I had read somewhere, and I. 
now am half believing I I dreamt it <laughs> because I can't find I have moment collaboration like anywhere. <laughs> but I had heard that the first big name to be attached to it was J- uh, Jack Lemon. He was going to be the Taylor role. Really? Hmm. Yeah, from the original Odd Couple, and yeah, that, yeah, because he played such a good everyman, and they wanted to put an everyman in that. Wouldn't situation. he have been? A, well, I guess he wouldn't have been that old then, but. Not no, 16, no, yeah, he was, uh, sort of yeah. Because um, when did the Odd Couple, the movie, come out? That was around 60, 69, I want to say 69, maybe even like 70. Yeah, maybe, maybe. And and he and Matthew were still relatively right, young. Right. So here, here's a, a off-subject, slightly story. First time I met Hiroko Sakurai, who played Fuji in Ultraman. She claimed I looked like Jack Lemmon. Really? <laughs> and then... Years later, when we did Godzilla Fest, uh, Akira Kubo, like, I took a picture with Akira Kubo and Hiroshi Koizumi, and I was in the middle. And then Bob had got it printed overnight, and I took it for them to sign. Mm. And Akira Kubo looks at me in the picture and goes, Jack Lemon. <laughs> so I was like, two Japanese actors, well, like, seven years apart or whatever. Don't, don't take Jack this Lemon. the wrong way, but there's a, a scene in the film where, uh, they're trying to put Taylor and uh, uh, Nova into the back of the uh, cart to get him to escape. Yeah. And he's like, I don't want to wear this. It smells terrible. Yeah. She says, damn it, Taylor, put it on. To you, uh, apes, you all look the same. Yeah. Right. So to Japanese, you look like Jack Lemmon. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> well, I was hoping it was the young Jack Lemmon and not the old Jack Lemmon. You might be able to run a pretty good scam in Japan. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but, no, but I mean, that brings us back to... The commentary of Planet of the Apes and the fact that they were using the apes and all that sort of as a commentary of right. what's, what was going on at that time. Oh, yeah. Right. Whether oh, it was yeah. the prejudices mm-hmm. that were going on at the right. time. Right. You know, even like the uh, the whole, you know, communist thing back in the 50s where they mm-hmm. were trying to find out who was communist, whatever, the trials mm-hmm. they were having back then. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that was... It was supposed to be be a straightforward action movie, whatever. And I don't think a lot of that was in the original novel. That was all kind of Arthur Jacobson. And I think not so much Rod Sterling, but I think it was more Michael Wilson that mm-hmm. did that. Yeah. Because the, the primary, the, the novel's primary message seemed to be against apathy, against human apathy, because the way that, uh, well, it's kind of mirrored in the sequels, the way the apes come to dominance is there's the virus, kills cats and dogs, mm-hmm. the apes become servant slaves, da da da, da. Mm-hmm. But instead of a violent revolt, there comes a day where humans are just so docile mm-hmm. and apes are so intelligent, the roles just flip. Right. And there doesn't even, there, there is no, uh, there's no reason for a violent overthrow. Mm-hmm. Humans are just too dumb to do anything and apes have been doing it all for so long. That they accept their role as right. pets, animals. Yeah. Well, that was sort of in the in the later movies too. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what was it? Escape from Planet of the Apes, where uh, Zira and uh, and Cornelius have a son. Right. And it gets killed on the Caesar. boat at the end, but it turns out she has swapped it with the right. chimp mm-hmm. in the in the zoo. Yep. And then that one, which is Caesar. Right grows up and leads the whole revolt against the humans and right. turns this into, you know, right. Planet of the Apes. But and oh, it yeah. was Caesar and it was Caesar, I think, that they in the remakes 
like Rise and Dawn. And oh, yes. War. It's all Caesar. It was all Caesar. There was yeah. no Cornelius or any of that. So. No, no, yeah. 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 Uh, I love the new films. Oh, that was so great. It was, yeah. you know, I, w- I didn't like the Tim Burton. Oh, no. No, I didn't so. like the Tim Burton one. Even I- though the ending was much closer to the novel. Mm-hmm. but It was. Yeah, I, I wasn't into that. But then when when Rise and Dawn and War came yes. out, you know, War kind of took a little step back. But I think I thought it was a great trilogy, though. Oh, How yeah. the hell yeah. did Woody Harrelson become such a <laughs> fixture in all of these genre right? films? Yeah. He's in every damn film. He is. And in my humble opinion, he's not that good of an actor. But anyway, I digress. He, I, he did a good job with this with this role. That you 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 accept him as a hard ass, and then you kind of feel for him. I don't know. If I saw him in public, I think I could take him down. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I digress. Back to characters. Karen, why don't you lead us into the next character we shall examine? Well, I think the next character that's really of major importance is Dr. Zira. Because she yes, has yes. the strongest relationship. I mean, we can talk about Dr. Zeus, but um, Dr. Zira is the one that makes the connection with Taylor. And and played by the iconic actress. Kim Hunter. Kim Hunter. Kim Hunter. That's right. right. And, you and know, it's not it's, Taylor, it's Bright Eyes. Bright Eyes. <laughs> Initially. Yes, well, it, it's funny because, you know, the makeup is so good, but you hear the voice, you look at the eyes, and yes. it's like, that's who that is. Yeah. You know, right. same right. with Roddy McDowell. Right. Uh, you know, you, you catch on to it. But go ahead, Walker. Well, it's funny you say that, Larry, because uh, on the uh, commentary, Kim Hunter was saying that after a while, she couldn't remember what Roddy looked like. <laughs> she, wow. she said she got so used to seeing him in the makeup that she would think of him as Cornelius. How well, funny. The funny thing in that makeup test uh-huh. that Karen was talking about, Zero was played by... Um, Linda Harrison. Right. Mm -hmm. Or was it? Linda Linda Harrison. uh, Harrison, yeah. Who went on to play Nova. Right. But she was playing Zira in the uh, Oh, for the test? Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. Ah, interesting. Wasn't she married to one of the executives or something? That's how she got involved? Yeah, she was only like 22 or something in the movie. What was was that, Karen? I said she was dating Richard Zanuck. Oh, oh okay. Richard Zanuck. Century Fox. Okay, okay. I, I knew there was some connection there. I got this actress for you. <laughs> <laughs> She's 22 years old. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, uh, Zira is uh, a great character. And a str- when you think about it, you know, how rare were strong female characters back then? I was going to say. Yes, but still yeah. a strong female character. Right. Or otherwise. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. And and um, the only one in that film, right? Yes. That, well, she so. even seemed to have power amongst the apes. Yeah, she was respected. Because yeah, she she's was, like ordering the guards around. Right, and, and they were when, listening to when her. When Taylor first writes that note, my name is Taylor or whatever, mm-hmm. she's like, you know, get me a leash, you know, and she takes him out. You know, it wasn't like, right. let me get permission to take this person out of here. Wow. You know? Right, wow. even in one of the first scenes where you see her, one of her fellow doctors is complaining to her mm-hmm. saying well you, you do okay for getting equipment and lab space and i'm here doing right. this with the humans yeah. you know so yeah she's in a privileged position in that in that society and she has dr zayas's ear yes that's so right that's something because he's 
you know, up there and, there, and yeah. pretty unapproachable. Right. So. Yeah. Minister of Science and Chief Defender. Of the <laughs> That's right. Yeah. There's, there's no contradiction there. No. Right. I know. I love that. That is, <laughs> that's such a wonderful touch to put in there. You know, yeah. and the, the thing is, with all the elements of this film and all the commentary, uh, social commentary, it, it's kind of sad that it's still relevant today. Oh. Y- you know. Maybe even more so. Or so. Maybe even more so. Or so. Yeah. Um. But anyway, let's, but it, let's, it's, that's a sign of a great movie. It's a sign of a great. It story. is a sign of a classic, right? Yeah. Movie. And the interesting thing about her is she is the one who is so doggedly determined to get to the truth of this situation. Mm-hmm. True. You know, she wants to know. You know, where is Taylor from? Why can he talk? What's going on? Whereas Cornelius, who I also dearly love, great mm-hmm. performance. Cornelius is the one who's more hesitant. Right. You know, he's the one saying, well, you know, we've got great futures ahead of us. Let's not screw this up. But he's the one who's been out digging in the forbidden zone. So right. it's kind right. of ironic that he's the one saying, well, let's not push this. Well, how, but again, how, an, another great character, right? Right. Oh, right. I'm, yeah. I'm wondering how much of that is him trying to protect them from, quote unquote, heresy. And her just saying, no, the, the truth needs to be, she's without fear. Right. 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 And, and whether that's right or wrong, good or bad is beside the point. Yeah, yeah. She is without fear. The truth is the truth, damn it. And we right. need to know what that is. Oh, yeah. We yeah. shouldn't be afraid of it. We should confront it and then, you know, move forward. Right. And well, she, she drags Cornelius into that realization. She does. Yeah. Right. Eventually, he acquiesces and, and realizes, right. Yeah. Is, yeah. But see, like, I think Zira... And Zeus are like two separate ends of the spectrum. Yeah, because he's trying oh, yeah. to unearth yeah. the truth, and he knows he already knows more than he's letting on. Yeah, right, and he's right. trying to compress mm-hmm. the truth. Yeah. And uh, and then Cornelius is just kind of in between the two. Yeah, right, right. You know? So Cornelius is kind of like the the needle going mm-hmm. between two. Two, you know, which way is he going to finally point? Which way is he going to actually That's go? A good point, but. Yeah. Well, well let's, what about oh, go ahead. Zayas? I was going to say, let's get into Dr. Yeah. Zayas. Because even at the end, Zayas says, tells Taylor, he goes, you know, just, you might not like you what you're going like to find. Right. Right. You know, so and he even knows what's going on. When the guards chase after, he's like, stop, stop. Come back. Yeah. Don't, you know, let him yeah, go. Let him go. Let him go. It's pointless. He's yeah. going he's gonna to face his reality. Right. He's going to, you know, come and to his truth. While also destroying all the evidence of what was found in the cave. If, right. And yeah. basically saying that Cornelius is zero, you're going, you're going for trial. You're going for trial. And I'm yeah. sorry, mm-hmm. but that's the way it has to be. Right. So if we hadn't had, if we hadn't had the sequels mm-hmm. and Planet of the Apes was just a one shot, does that mean that more, uh, more likely than not Cornelius and zero were going to be executed? Found not guilty and not executed? executed because the the I think the point was you can either face execution or heresy and imprisonment for two years. Was really that's what I saw it this morning. That's what I heard him. Oh my god! Telling I don't him. remember that, but that's fantastic. Yeah, okay. it, it was like you know th- this is what you're up against. Okay, okay. And I think had this been the only film, that that's a good question. Yeah. Uh, what was the kid's name? Was it Milo? Lucius? Lucius. Lucius. Lucius, yeah. And he says, don't trust anyone over 30. Right. I, I would like to believe that Lucius and his friends would have eventually, if if not Lucius's generation, one generation would push for that truth. Yeah. 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 Right. Because mm-hmm. Lucius didn't go in the cave. 
So he didn't see what they saw, but he knew there was something in that cave. Right, right. So it's almost as as societies progress, they kind of leave the myths behind and try to seek out the truths. You know, it's interesting because most major cities in the United States, at least, have these, uh, like Seattle famously has the underground city. Mm -hmm. There are parts of San Francisco that shows what the city was before they built the sewer systems mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. above it. And what did we leave behind? Mm-hmm. What, what uh, you know, parts mm-hmm. of society got covered up, right. you know? Um, it would be interesting. I, you know, I've never been in any of those uh, locations, but it'd be interesting to see. Uh, what I was told is there's a lot of gambling establishments and brothels. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so it's exactly. like, okay, well. But those uh, haven't been left behind. <laughs> they, yeah, they moved to different cities. That's right. They have just evolved. Right. <laughs> no, but, um, you know, there were so many good uh, commentaries in this film on society, on the dangers of nuclear uh, proliferation. Oh, right. right, right. Um, you alluded to the Cold War, the, the war with the Russians right. and everything else. Um, I don't know. I, what, what do you think, Karen? If, if this was the only film, how do you see things kind of – where would Taylor have gone? What what would have happened to Lucius and Dr. Zayas and so forth? What what would your take be on it? No, so I think if it was, if it was the only film, I could imagine Taylor eventually – picking up the pieces and probably going off with Nova and maybe, I don't know, trying to start start a community somewhere. Huh. And I think you, or walking right. off into the ocean and saying, forget it. Yeah. <laughs> do, do you think his disdain for humanity would have made him not want to procreate? Or do you think uh, he would have? You know, it's, it's hard to say, but I think that's uh, a pretty... What is he going to do? Throw himself off a cliff? I mean, he could. Right. Who knows? I mean, yeah. Um, although I know that they had filmed a scene where Nova was pregnant. Right. Oh. And they decided not to use it because it would have diminished the impact of. Uh, well, it right. also would have taken the film off into a totally different direction. And yeah. there's a whole storyline yeah. that suddenly. Yeah. Right. They would have to deal with, but. and it was, it was too hopeful a sign <laughs> for the end of that movie. You know. Yeah. I think. But I think, yeah, you, you know, this this idea that the, the truth will out, right? right and that's, now. you know, eventually some generation is going to, of apes is going to want to know what happened. Right. And that's why it's, I mean, Zeus is a great antagonist. He's not really a villain because he's doing what he thinks is right. Right, right. right. He's, he's trying to protect his people. He thinks, so. Oh, if they find this out, it's going to be devastating and... You know, we're not going to survive this, so he's he's trying to keep this from them. So he's not really a bad guy. And this whole thing, like, you know, I've, I've always, you know, known you were going to show up, and I've dreaded it. Um, this has been his nightmare, you know? So uh-huh. in some level, he's sympathetic. Um, well, well, for him, it's like humans are wasteful and self-destructive, and, and apes are not. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, apes don't wage war against apes. And they don't waste their resources and all right. that. So he's trying. Yeah, he's trying to protect them from going down that path that right. that the humans obviously fail at. And you know, this just dawned on me. But the apes gained intelligence because they became domesticated and learned. Mm-hmm. There's a scene in Planet of the Apes where Marcus, 
the head of the guards asks Zayas, I don't understand, what is she trying to prove? And he says that humans can be domesticated. Mm. So is he thinking she's touching on exactly the thing that could destroy our civilization within the next hundred years? Right. Domesticating humans, they'll learn, they're violent, they'll overthrow us. Right. That's uh, a that, good point. That just kind of dawned on me that that was one of her goals was to see if humans could be domesticated. Yeah. And even today, yeah. we're going through that with artificial intelligence. And, oh. And, oh. Uh, like, right. well, that, when, when is that going to take over? You know? Right, right, right. That's a Terminator right. film. We'll have to cover that in a different <laughs> podcast. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, yeah. you know, you're always concerned who's going to replace you, right? People always have fears about that, whether it's AI is going to replace you or some other group of people are going to replace you. Well, that's the thing. Are you creating that which is going to replace you? Mm-hmm. That's the cycle of nature. When you have kids, you're creating. That I was going to say, right, <laughs> <laughs> right. That's yeah. right. That's part of the deal. Yeah. And you know, but go, ahead. go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say there is that nice scene between um, Heston and uh, Morris Evans, Zayas, where they they talk very frankly about you know the situation and. It's like, wow, that was a heavy scene, you know, where yeah. just tells him, this is what I'm going to have done to you. And, and I, I, you know, you terrify me and, right. and this, why? And if you confess, I won't have, I won't do this to you. Just tell me where your people are and, and, you know, we can stop this right now. And Heston is just like, you know, Taylor's steadfast. Like, I'm telling you the truth, you know. Yeah. Do you think but, Heston, had he done that, Heston would have been, Taylor would have been safe? Or do you think Zayas would have done it anyway? He didn't have anything yeah, to tell. He might have done it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. He still would have. If he had it. something to tell, I, I think he was fried. Yeah. And either way. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh God, Morris Evans. He does an excellent job as Zayas. Oh, absolutely. I think it's oh, better than if Ever G. Robinson had continued and become yeah. Zayas. But do you know what? You know what his other role was, right? Around the same time. Hmm. Yes, oh, I do. I remember the TV. I can't remember the name of the oh, character. Oh, Bewitched. The Puzzler. He was the oh, Puzzler well, yeah. in Batman. Yeah. But yeah, he was also in Bewitched. He was... Uh, Uncle but, somebody, yeah. right? That was, was Paul Lynn, wasn't it? Well, no, was sorry. Different. Paul Lynn was there, too. But <laughs> yeah, Paul Lynn is Dr. Zayas. Yeah. <laughs> Maurice Evans so, was in there. That's right? just Dr. Yeah. Zayas. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's well, yeah, the Puzzler was the replacement <laughs> for the Riddler because Gorshin couldn't do an episode, right? Or something mm -hmm. like that, I thought. Uh, well, I mean, Gorshin did it, and then John Aston was Aston the Riddler one, for a yeah. while. Oh, yeah. And then I think they brought the Puzzler in after both of those. But Possibly, yeah. That might be it. Yeah. But Maurice Evans, he was probably playing the Puzzler, like, just before or during Planet yeah. of the Apes, because yeah, right. Batman was on 66, 67, 68, and I think the Puzzler had come in in 68. Mm. Right. Right. So. Yeah. You know, um, in talking about... Uh, what would have happened to Caesar had this been a one shot going off and doing a colony when the studio said, Hey, apes is popular. We got to do a sequel. The first uh, con concept for a sequel is going to be called planet of men. And Caesar really? and Nova, I mean, Caesar <laughs> Taylor, <laughs> Taylor and uh, Nova go off and found a colony huh. of intelligent humans that then overthrow the apes huh. and i think i think the script is probably out there on the internet somewhere wow. but the final scene of the sequel was going to be a human circus and the announcer was going to was going to announce 
the most uh, intelligent ape in captivity, Dr. Zaius. <laughs> and Zaius is going to be naked in a cage, and they're going to say, say something, doctors, tell us your name. And he's going to shrug and just kind of mumble, Zaius. Uh, and that was going to be the end of the movie. Right. Wow. Yeah. But yeah. they went with the, one of the wildest concepts. Yeah. <laughs> Beneath the Planet of the Apes is such a crazy just... Worshipping it is. It's so funny, too, because, you know, they end the movie, spoiler alert, with, you know, letting off the bomb. Right. It was very popular. We need a third film. You need a what? Yeah, right. We just blew it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, well, figure out a new film. Uh, okay. No, uh, ape astronauts, time travel. Okay. We just so ended. is it is it just me, or did Escape really have the feeling of like a TV movie? Uh, to watch it, it's like, it doesn't really seem like a theatrical film. It seemed more like a, a TV movie of the week back in the day. Well, the budget was well, for the budget everything was cut, cut with each yeah, movie. Back, yeah. yeah, it wasn't enormous in the first film, but then they cut right. it each film, and yeah, right. By the time they got to battle, it was yeah, yeah. forget it. No, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it does have that. It does have that feel to it. Whereas Conquest doesn't. Battle again. Battle does. Battle feels like a TV right, movie yeah. again. But Conquest doesn't. It's got. There's something about that film that just it feels like it's got this scope, even again on a lesser budget. Well, yeah, well, see, because Escape doesn't have much scope at all, because it's all taking place no, right. in offices and on ships. And, right, uh, right. The, on sets, basically. Grape yeah. Juice yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus. Grape Juice Plus, <laughs> right, yeah. But, uh, uh, you know, it's interesting, too, is the animated series was like, uh, Frank was saying, the, the novel. Yeah. They're in airplanes and, yeah. and driving cars, and, and there's like an ape society that... Right mirrors human society today mm -hmm. or at the time oh, it's, i mean rod sterling's script and his screenplay and it's in the uh planet of the apes visionaries graphic novel which mm -hmm. is based on his screenplay they didn't have crosswalks all the cars would go by but the apes were all going on like monkey bars right over, <laughs> right. over the streets and right. over the traffic right. yeah which actually makes sense because you don't need like traffic lights and right pedestrians don't get hit or whatever you just you know jump up on the monkey bars right? <laughs> off you go across the street you know i don't think a film like escape from the planet of the apes could be released today because as soon as they test marketed that thing with the kind of really cute atmosphere that it sets up in the beginning ending right. with everyone being shot the wind right <laughs> you the know it's like, like they, they would have changed the ending up. well yeah, shoot, no shooting way. their baby at the end even though it wasn't oh their baby yeah. So, yeah that was pretty brutal He's that was it. right you know I wonder if that was a G or PG rating PG or was it GP G GP, <laughs> GP probably at the time right yeah yeah but, I think I think it was GP yeah. yeah but that introduced Caesar and Caesar carried on in conquest and battle yeah, and Caesar was the main ape in the in the reboot. In the re, yeah, yeah, he's now the iconic. It wasn't, it wasn't Cornelius. Yeah. It was Caesar. Yeah, who was played by Roddy McDowell. Right, and he went on to play Galen in the, in the TV series. series. Yeah, that's right. So he was like, he wasn't in the cartoon, but he was in, he was throughout the whole classic. Yeah. Right, except for one. Roddy McDowell was right. not in Beneath for the beneath right. The oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was another actor, but yeah, yeah. So he carried on the tradition basically. Oh yeah. Yeah, and for, as for Rise of the Planet of the Apes, it was brilliant of them to basically start with Caesar's story and go on yeah. instead of trying to do... You know, that wasn't was story. not originally supposed to be a Planet of the Apes movie. It was just a movie that some guy had come up with a script where this guy's developing an Alzheimer's drug and he tests it on an ape 
are on a chimp and uh, it gives them a boost, boosted mentality and all that. And once it got to 20th Century Fox, 20th Century Fox said, well, we own Planet of the Apes. Why don't yeah. you make it a Planet of the Apes movie? And then it took off from there. Wow, but if you want, you know, know it, but if you watch it, it really doesn't fit in with Planet of the Apes. It's, no. I think they have a couple throwaway lines like, it's a madhouse, a madhouse. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But, they, they do a lot of fans. Yeah. So yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was supposed to be just a, some standalone movie, science oh, yeah. gone wrong type film. Well, that's the way I look but, at yeah. it. I don't see it as a prequel to the Planet of the Apes. Yeah, at all. I don't. I don't think it is. No, I I think once you know, once they went in that direction and went through war, war kind of leads you up to the point where the classic classic films could start. Kind of does. Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like yeah, this is how this whole that whole thing happened. Even to where Caesar, where Caesar led the apes. It's not really spoiler alert, but where Caesar led the apes Mm -hmm. at the end of war. Is that the lagoon? To me, that looked like the lagoon where Ape City from the original Planet of the Apes it could be. was. Although that's supposed to be New York, and this is California, right? Well, it, to me, it's almost like the J.J. Abrams uh, Kelvin universe, right? Exactly. In Star Trek. That's exactly. that's how I saw those films. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I, I I can't sandwich the two. Yeah. In in my mind, it just doesn't work. Exactly. Yeah. Because even like the the movies took place in New York, the TV series took place like around Santa Monica and yeah, LA Universal and City. Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, Universal Studios, whatever. But yeah, well, there's yeah. one episode where they're trapped in a BART station. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's all West Coast stuff on that. Yeah, right. West Coast and the TV series. I, don't, I remember. The, I don't remember where the cartoon supposedly took place. Oh, Detroit. No, like I'm just Rome. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of looked like Rome, yeah. right? With the architecture that they use. There. They didn't really, yeah, say. They didn't say one way or the other. But Nova was in the cartoon, wasn't she? He... I think Nova was in the cartoon, and she spoke. Was, sure. was the character named Nova? Well, it's been yeah. so long. I know. Nova. Yeah, yeah. They, they, you know, same kind of thing. They land on this planet of the apes. Oh, yeah. And yeah, they they discover Nova, and she can talk. And isn't it three teenagers? Uh, in the, in three the cartoon. I don't know if they're teenagers. They're you know, but there's a Young. yeah. There's the white guy, the black guy, and the woman. Yeah, yeah. right, right. And uh, and who designed that cartoon? Filmation. Doug Wildey. Oh, who designed Johnny Quest? Oh, and yeah, uh, there's a lot so, of yeah. there's a lot of similarity. And the Godzilla there, cartoon yeah. and whatever, but yeah, it was yeah. Doug Wildey who yeah. came up with all the the character designs and and the whole thing. Okay. Okay. But, and that whole the whole I always thought that was like a really dark opening for a kid's car Saturday morning cartoon because it's like you see the apes are all looking spooky and they show the scarecrows and all that and, and ape yeah. fist yeah ape fist <laughs> yeah, pounding right. down and and of course the iconic Ted Knight narration of you know, oh, return to the planet of the apes right <laughs> but I mean the cartoon wasn't quite that dark but whoever did that opening yeah right. that was pretty cool right Definitely. Oh, yeah. Well, my friends, uh, we're coming up towards the end of our podcast. We're going to do a round robin. Let's go up to the satellite. Karen, any last thoughts, words, recommendations with regards to the Planet of the Apes film? Well, uh, I think I would just say that obviously it's an idea that still resonates with a lot of people. Mm. Obviously with us. I don't know. We'll see what the <laughs> listeners have to say. Um, 
And, you know, there's a lot of great stuff still coming out about Planet of the Apes, a lot of great books and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I would recommend, if you're a big Planet of the Apes fan, um, J.W. Rensler's put out a lot of books on movies like Star Wars in the past, and he did a big book on Planet of the Apes that goes over the whole making of the first film, and there's a ton of photographs in there. So, Didn't you do a censor sweep on that in an earlier episode? I think. Uh, I don't know if we did or not, but because uh, I can't remember. Who knows? Well, but it's it's a really <laughs> if you did, book. you should post there's, the there's link to it. A lot of other resources if you're into it, but um, I think it just has so many cool elements, right? There's the time travel, there's mm -hmm. the apes, and the mutants, and the nuclear stuff, and mm -hmm. the allegories. So yeah, it's, you know, it's endlessly entertaining, right? Definitely. Mm -hmm. I I think we should post a link if if possible. Uh, so you I guys keep an eye open. I say it was one of the early episodes that she did that. But okay. We'll have to go back and look. Mr. Bob. I could have been dreaming. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I may mean, be I'll, dreaming right now. Right. I, always, I always loved these movies. I always wanted to go back and do the Go Ape, mm. where they uh, oh, basically yeah. after, Film. shortly after Battle was released, they released the Go Ape Yep. Marathon where you had to go in the movie theater and just sit through all my five movies in one sitting. Mm. I and did it at the drive-in. Oh, nice! Yeah. All night. <laughs> and uh, no, I mean, like I say, just being so impressed by the makeup and all that when I first saw it, and I'm still impressed with it today. Yes. And uh, then you know this whole conversation where we're still discovering new things and talking about the concepts and how they still relate today. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe more so than. Than even before, um, that's a, it's an eternal film, basically. Mm -hmm. Definitely, it's a great thought-provoking classic. Uh, if you haven't read the novel, I highly suggest to read the novel and kind of compare and contrast mm -hmm. uh, the treatment of essentially the same idea, the way they treated it in the film, the way they treated it in the novel, and um, Boom Studios comics did a, an amazing series of graphic novels that take you from, uh, I believe it's 2,000 years before Taylor lands mm. up until the day he lands. It kind of and it kind of patches together this history of the ape world up until that moment and gets more in-depth with Dr. Zayas and what he knows and how he found out. It explains what happened to the moon. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's it's this really great series. I can't recommend those enough because they really fit the canon so perfectly. And it's like it's like Planet of the Apes prequels that were never made, mm. and they're really well done. Mm. But uh, yeah, the the film is is a true classic, and it's a classic for a reason. We're it still is. talking about it for a reason. It's just a great great film. Well, the fact that you can take a series of five movies, a remake and a remake trilogy or reboot, mm -hmm. and just spend a whole episode talking about the first movie. Yeah. That says a lot. Primarily. Yeah. yeah. Right, right. Well, and let me tell you guys, we, we still got a ton of things we could talk about this film. We didn't get into all the actors. We didn't, we didn't even touch on Roddy McDowell. But oh, time career, constraints yeah. being what they are, yeah. we'll have to save that for another episode. Right. Um, it is that part of our podcast where we have our sensor sweep. I'm going to kick it over to Chief Engineer Bob, and he and Lord Bloodraw will be discussing some local 
uh, shenanigans happening, uh, <laughs> near and, uh, near the, uh, San Francisco Bay Area. Chief Engineer. Well, August 23rd, 24th, 25th, which will probably be, uh, very shortly after this episode comes out. Mm-hmm. And I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but we are doing Godzilla Fest. Yes. With 12 movies over three days on two screens. And we have definitely confirmed Michael Doherty, the writer-director of Godzilla, King of the Monsters, as our guest. Which was not and last uh, he will. Well, I think I said we're trying. Trying. But now we have, no, yeah, yeah. we have secured him, and uh, he will be there all three days. And I think, you know, he's just as big a fan as anyone else. So I think he just wants to be there just to see the movies and mm. take in the atmosphere. But he'll mingle with everybody, and Saturday night he'll do a uh, – intro and a Q&A to cool. his film, and uh, that will all be uh, done by our host on Friday, Saturday night. I'll hand it over to Lord Bloodraw. Yes, I'm really looking forward to this. This is going to be this is going to be fun. I haven't hosted a film festival in quite some time. <laughs> yeah, Friday and Friday night. I'm I'm looking forward to Saturday night. I'm looking forward to the special showing of Godzilla: King of the Monsters with direct writer and director Michael Doherty. But two of my favorite films are playing. Friday night, Frankenstein Conquers the World and War of the Gargantuas. Yes. I have to see both of these on the big screen and host them. Mm. I am so looking forward to this. Yeah. I haven't seen War of the Gargantuas on the big screen since I was a kid and I was yeah. a driver. Love, love that movie. <laughs> yeah, so the thing, the thing I love about that night, and I'm, I always pat myself on the back about it, is you've got, we've got two screens going. So one screen is the classic. 1971 double feature of Monster Zero and War of the Gargantuas, both oh. dubbed in English. The other screen is Frankenstein Conquers the World and what is actually its sequel, right. War of the Gargantuas. And those will both be in Japanese with subtitles because they cut out the connection between the twos when they dubbed them. Mm. So you'll be able to see the actual connections and everything else and how one leads to the other. Uh, so yeah, you can... If you want to go in, and they both start at about the same time, so you can go in and choose between Frankenstein Conquers the World and Monster Zero, and then you can choose between dubbed or subbed War of the Gargantuas. So cool! It'll be a blast. Fantastic! I'm so. I'm looking forward to this. I'm excited. Well, I'm looking forward to that and the popcorn and the beer. Yes, they do sell <laughs> beer at Very Balboa. Good. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, BayAreaFilmEvents.com is the link for information and tickets and everything else. So check it out. Yes. Yeah. Looking forward to that. And uh, also, if you're a universal horror fan, and I'm sure you all are. Yeah. Uh, Saturday, August 31st at the Chenard Winery. This is the final show of my anniversary season at the Chenard Winery. I've been doing this for 10 years now. Wow. At the Chenard Winery. And uh, what we do is we have uh, a wine tasting and you can purchase wine. We have tables and chairs. It's an outdoor show. Mm-hmm. You bring a picnic, buy your wine, sit there, enjoy your wine and picnic. And then on the stage, we present a film live. And uh, coming up on the 31st, we're doing a double feature, the classic The Wolfman, followed by Frankenstein meets The Wolfman. Wow. So that's going to be that's going to be a fun night. And uh, it's been a blast. I, uh, the Chenard Winery is the first place that I ever hosted. It's the birthplace of Lord Blood Rock. Mm. That's the first place that I, I ever hosted a film, and I'm still doing it now after uh, that, That's where they dug years. you up, right? Uh, Lord that's Blood Rock. where they dug me up. That's right. That's right, yeah. Well, I'll tell you, uh, listeners, I am giving up the celebration of the 75th anniversary of the Mai Tai at Trader Vicks in Emeryville. 
Oh, they're they're doing a show that night. I will be at Lord Bloodraw's uh, Universal Monster double feature at the Chenard Winery. Well, maybe so, you could host that, and I'll go to the nah. MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> Deal. No. Uh, so if you listeners make it out there, keep an eye out for. Uh, I'm not sure if Chief Engineer Bob's going to make it out there. Chief Engineer Bob and Ensign Debbie are heading for the Sun Kings in Redwood City. Uh-huh. Beatles tribute band on the evening of the Beatles. Be, so. be on the lookout for the big man with the Planet Eight T-shirt. I'll be there with Ensign Jasmine. <laughs> oh, and. Uh, uh, it's, I think it's a these great guys time. Are doing promotions soon. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it should be a Lieutenant Debbie and Lieutenant Jeff. One, one of these days, we need to figure out how to fix our transporter and bring Karen out to these shows um, uh, from the well, satellite. I could avoid bronchitis and other things. Uh, yeah, that might happen. <laughs> well, those buggers on Planet Nine keep on sabotaging uh, with viruses <laughs> and. All kinds of mechanical uh, problems. Well, we're still working on our listener party, so we'll, oh, right. we'll get her out oh, for that. That is coming up. Oh, uh, really? Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. We'll keep you guys informed on Please. that. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planet8podcast.blogspot.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic. For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet8Cast. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash planet8podcast. We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet8 signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end. It's a man I'm afraid that's all we have time for.